0: Appreciate that. Thank you, Colby. Um, that is called a bait and switch. You've, you just fell victim to it. Um, so he like said, I am not the preacher. If you're visiting with us, if you're watching online, um, we're so glad you're here. Um, but we just tricked you into having to come back at least one more week to make your mind up about us. Um, because if you don't like it, you can't, uh, you can't not come back next week because I won't be up here. Um, so basically, um, I know everything that Colby just said is, aw- you know, is awesome. I appreciate um, you know his kind words. I don't know um, if I'm here necessarily to uh, because of, I'm a good preacher or because uh, I've been faithful at, at a house church. But I think maybe um, it's advantageous sometimes for Colby to send somebody up here to prove to all of us that it's not as easy as he makes it look. Um, And uh, he sent a couple other guys up here recently that didn't get the job done, so I'm the answer. Uh. (laughs) We're going to recap just a little bit here. We're in Mark. We're in Mark chapter 12. I wanted to go back to the the end of 11 and just kind of catch us up where we are because we're going to see that these stories build on each other, these principles and and these points kind of build on each other. At the end of chapter 11, the authority of Jesus was challenged. The, The Pharisees came and they challenged the authority of Jesus. Last week we read in the beginning of chapter 12 the parable where Jesus reveals the hearts of the Pharisees that they've challenged God's very ownership over themselves, over the world, over uh, his plan of salvation. And then today we're going to kind of continue building on these these concepts and we're going to move into if he has authority and he has ownership over our lives, then what should our purpose be? Um, Colby's kind of mentioned this, but We're in this Passion Week, which overlays over Passover week, and 40% of your New Testament is dedicated to this one week in time. And so if the Holy Spirit thought it was necessary to slow down and to zoom in and to spend a lot of time in this short period of time, there's probably some deep truths and some things that we can get out of here. And, And I know my tendency sometimes is to kind of speed over some of these things. It's like you read it on the surface, and it's like, oh, okay, pay your taxes. We can move on to the next. Like, you know, not a big deal. Um, but I think if we slow down, we zoom in, um, we can kind of see these ideas build on each other, and hopefully, um, we'll see that there's some really cool things going on here in this in this passage. Um, this is one of those that when I when I was asked to to speak on this passage a couple months ago, I looked it up and. It was obviously going to be the first part of April, and I'm preaching on taxes. And I was like, all right, well, that's uh, that's great. That'll be a, be a good way to make some seats, you know, in, in the church. So, um, But just like Colby kind of talked about last week with the parables, and, and we can very often think we, we know a story. We think we know what's going on, and yet we have no idea. You know, God reveals something, and it's like, oh, wow, that has nothing to do with what I thought it did. And so on the surface this is talking about taxes and and government and some of that and we will touch on that and yet um just like I'm still reeling from last week when Colby informed us that in the air tonight by Phil Collins is actually a song about divorce um like I didn't see that one coming and and I think some of us might not see coming what God would have for us here in in this scripture um by the end of it if you're like me, you might be wishing like, man, I wish that I wish that scripture was just saying like, all we got to do is be faithful to on our taxes. Uh, cause I think it's a lot easier to do that than it is what God's actually going to ask us to do. Um, so if you would just join me in prayer, I'm going to ask God to bless us and we're going to get to work. Lord, uh, we just thank you so much for your day that you have made. Uh, we thank you for the blessings that we have, including This opportunity to come uh, to this place and to worship you and to study your word. Lord, I just ask that you would flood this place uh, with your spirit, that you would um, speak through me, that you would allow me to get out of your way. You would use me as a conduit uh, to say the things that you have to say to your people. Uh, Lord, I ask that you would work in the heart of the listener, whether here or online or um, through a podcast at a later date. Lord, will you uh, will you open their hearts? Will you do your work um, through the teaching and preaching of your word? Uh, I ask this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So... Um, Last week we ended in verse 12 and we found out there that the only thing holding the, the Pharisees back from just flat out arresting and killing Jesus as they want to do is that they have this fear of the people. Verse 12 told us, and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. So they've got this need to kill Jesus and it's escalating as Jesus is now Um, He's no longer in the highways and byways. He's come into Jerusalem. He's on their turf, and he is no longer telling parables in such a way that the Pharisees can't see and understand what he's actually saying, but rather he's exposing them to their face and and in front of the crowds. And so we see, uh, like I said, this kind of escalation in their plan to try to kill him. Um, And they come up with this, this new plan um after after the parable that we read about last week and i think it's interesting because what they do is they they play off of money and it's exactly the same thing that we see in today's world you know we we see the the war um, going on in ukraine and and how did most of the world respond to that immediately there was sanctions right against russia there was um Different governments throughout the world start leveling sanctions, um, started seizing assets from not only Russia or Putin but even from his friends and and, and kind of inner circle and um, it's also the reason that you're going to see nothing but stuff about inflation and gas prices and a whole bunch of those Biden I did that stickers as we move into the election season coming up, right? Because if you want to take down a political figure, you come between his followers and their money. It's a pretty simple tactic, and yet it's a, it's a pretty ingenious one. and It's one that we can see here where they were using thousands of years ago, um, as well. So, um, we're going to start in verse 13 today. If we pull up that slide there, Ty, please read verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. All right, we already got a pause. So we've introduced the, the Pharisees a lot. We know who the Pharisees are, um, Colby has has given us quite a bit of background and and whatnot. So we know that they're, you know, the the ruling um, religious sect, um, and they've kind of come to this place with Rome where they've got this begrudging submission. They're under Roman authority and rule, and they they cooperate with Rome, but they hate it. Um, They hate every bit of it, and they kind of view their cooperation with the Roman government and Roman officials as this necessary but temporary evil. So they are kind of playing along, so to speak, until the day that that Messiah King that they've been waiting for would come and would free Israel from all of its enemies and uh, re-establish the kingdom of David to rule forever. The Herodians, on the other hand, are a party that we haven't heard near as much about. They're not mentioned by name very often in Scripture, but um, they're kind of like the counterparts to um, to the Pharisees. They're still a political power, but they've kind of taken a different view on um, Rome and and on Herod and all of that. So they've kind of formed this, this very willing cooperation and alliance, if you will, um with Rome through the house of Herod, um, and they they saw Herod as a kind of just a preferred or a lesser of two evils over um, the Romans. They gave Herod credit for what little freedoms that they did enjoy under the oppressive Roman government. Um, He had allowed them, so Herod is kind of this like pseudo-governor kind of put in place by Rome, He's not really Jewish, he's not really Roman, but he kind of can be a buffer between, between the two. Um, and so the Herodians are, are faithful to him and they see keeping Herod in power and in place as a way to ensure that, that they don't lose their power and their place and their influence. Um, a very influential and large uh, political group many of the the sadducees and the scribes um, would have been a part of the herodians and um, were more likely much larger group than than the pharisees uh, we saw them mentioned back in chapter three after jesus heals the man with a withered, withered hand we see that the pharisees go out and they hold count counsel with the herodians on how they can Um, destroy Jesus. Obviously nothing comes of that um, because we don't hear anything else about it. Now here we are in chapter 12 and again it's the Herodians and the Pharisees conspiring. Um, So these two groups are arch enemies. They hate each other. Uh, The Pharisees see the Herodians as sellouts, as as sham Jews. Um, The Herodians see the Pharisees as this idealistic fundamentalist group that uh, is a potential hazard to them um, but both groups kind of come together here to conspire against their mutual and even more hated enemy which is Jesus Christ see both groups have have kind of come to this place where they're concerned that if Jesus is left unchecked he's going to destroy whatever peace whatever power whatever position uh, that they hold whatever comfort that they have um, he's going to take care take it away from them So kind of going back, tying into the parable from last week, we see here that that both of these groups have wrongly started to see the vineyard as theirs. They're trying to take ownership of the vineyard, not recognizing uh, that it belongs to the owner, to God. And both of these groups have come to the conclusion that they can't find fault with Jesus in in an honest way where they can just come and arrest him for something that he's actually done wrong. And so they have decided that trapping him, in his words, is their best chance of, of getting him to be, um, to, to lose power or lose popularity, to, to kind of dethrone him, if you will. So, so they come up with this question that we're going to see is actually a really good question and a, and a very smart tactic that they use here um, about taxes. And this particular tax is, is called a poll tax or a, um, a census tax, and it's a tax that Rome had forced on the Jewish people. The Jews resented this tax, um, one because we all hate giving our money to the government, two because it was that that reminder and that physical kind of symbol of their submission to Rome. Um, The Pharisees hate this even more because the coin that they use actually um, has Caesar's image on it and it has an inscription on it that declares Caesar to be the son of God, which is obviously not only offensive to the Jewish people, but flat out blasphemous. Um, And so that's kind of the Pharisee side. Then again, back to the Herodians, they're more like, "Eh, we don't really care about any of that as long as we can maintain the status quo. Um, keep Herod happy, he keeps the Romans happy, and we get to stay in our, uh, you know, in our position and have the power that we, that we have. So it's a, it's a brilliant question that they come to him with because it, there really is a no-win answer. Um, if Jesus comes and says, do not pay the tax, then the Herodians immediately can just go to Herod and say, He's he's creating an insurrection. He's he's building the people up to rebel against you to rebel against Rome. And now there's a rightful reason to go and arrest Jesus. Um, If he says to pay the tax, now the Pharisees have him. The Pharisees can now expose Jesus for the fraud that they think he is. They get to, see, get to show and expose him in front of the Jewish people that he's a traitor to the Jewish cause. And most importantly to them, this would prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that he can't be and is not the Messiah King, the, the one that is coming that they're waiting on, because if he was, he wouldn't be willing to bow to Roman authority, which is what he would be doing if he says, yes, you should pay the tax. So we'll go to verse 14 now. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? You have to notice the, the flattery here, and it, I think it's kind of ironic um, they say a lot of true things about Jesus here to kind of flatter him and, and to kind of build him up, and yet they don 't believe a single one of them they 're saying true things and yet they don 't believe it in their own hearts and I think the reason that they bring this flattery up there 's a lot of you could go into more depth here, but I think just for our purposes this morning they're they 're trying to break down his defenses and and this might happen in your life too. Somebody comes with flattery to kind of break down that wall of de- defense, and then they're going to throw uh, this hand grenade of a question in after they've hopefully kind of dropped his, his defenses down a little bit. Um, as I was looking um, looking at this passage and kind of you know just praying over it and, and thinking about what. Um, What's going on here, I couldn't help but think of the meeting between our president and the Pope that happened several months back now. And there was a lot of kind of like media buzz and hype going into that meeting about whether or not the topic of abortion was going to come up in that meeting. Um, And uh, not surprisingly, The answer to that is no it did not come up and and the question of why didn't it come up is the same question that we're dealing with here There was a no-win answer Um, there's you if those two people get in a room and they have to hash out that topic you're going to either alienate the vast majority of the democratic party or you're going to alienate the catholic church because they have differing views on what's going on. And this is exactly what's happening here, where we have the Herodians who believe one way very strongly. We have the Pharisees who believe one way very strongly. And they've come together um, to ask this really tough question where there's no no right answer, so to speak, or at least that's what they think. Um, So it would be kind of like during that meeting with the world watching, the cameras, the lights, the microphones all on. If a reporter would have walked into that room and, and just started talking to, to those two guys about, you know, hey, we just know that you guys are, are some of the most powerful and well-respected and wisest and, and the best leaders of men on the whole planet. So like, hey, while well, I've got you here real quick, like, is it lawful or is it right for, for people to have an abortion? Um, and then just kind of turn around and walking away and leaving them to sit in front of the world and answer that question. That's what they're trying to do here, the the Pharisees and the Herodians, is is, um, kind of set him up and then just throw a hand grenade in and walk away and just let the whole thing burn down around him. I think it's interesting in this question. It's one question, and yet it's actually two inside of one. First they ask, is it lawful? And then second they ask, is it moral? Uh, should we do it? They're 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 saying okay, from the law, tell me should we do this? Speaking from the from the law, and then even if the law says we should, is there like a moral grounds maybe that you could get us out on? You know, they're looking for that that kind of like well, even if it's lawful, should we still do it? And I think that that's again something that we can fall into today. Uh, especially as we relate to our government, where we can kind of have that, um, that idea of like, well, if they support something I don't support, then maybe, you know, circumventing uh, or resisting their authority might be um, something that would be good for us to do even. Um, let's move on to the next slide. We'll get into verses 15 and 16 here. And Jesus answers and said, but knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, why put me to the test? bring me a denarius, and let me look at it. And they brought one, and he said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. So the first thing is Jesus asks them why, why the test, why the test. And I think there's more than one just right answer here but I think in the context of where we've been building um on this idea maybe you could look back into last week's sermon and, and in verse 7 of chapter 12 the Pharisees in that story the people that represented the Pharisees they said this is the heir come let us kill him and the inheritance will be ours and so again, they're, they're challenging that ownership of the vineyard in that story. And that's exactly what they're doing here. Um, they're, they're kind of challenging his ownership. Um, and then I think that the, there's a, another like upper spiritual kind of level of, of this that's going on here. And that is, again, this is Passover week. This is um, a week where on the 10th a couple of days before this or a day or so before this the the lambs the passover lambs had been selected and then from the 10th to the 14th the passover lambs are being they're being inspected to find fault and that's exactly what the pharisees are doing so whether the pharisees even know it or not but they're playing into this bigger picture of the fact that jesus is the substance of the shadow and and god is bringing that out here that Even though you don't realize why you're testing him, you're testing him because it's the will of God that the Lamb of God would be tested before he was led to the slaughter so that if there was any blemish in him, if there was anything that would have disqualified him from being able to be the Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb, our Lamb that has been shed, the blood that was shed for our sins, he's being tested so that if there was anything wrong with him, he would have been excluded. And so I think that's just kind of a neat kind of parallel of what's going on. Um, So again, the the Jews kind of enjoyed the benefits of the Roman rule. They enjoyed the clean water. They enjoyed roads. They enjoyed um, a good economy. And yet they they were willing to use Caesar's stuff, but had an attitude of flat-out refusal of Caesar. And then I think the parable that we read last week is Jesus trying to expose to the Pharisees that that's also their heart towards God. They're willing to use his stuff, but they flat out refuse his authority and ownership over their lives. I think we can look around and we can see that exact mentality in the world today. Those that have rejected Jesus, we love God's stuff. We just don't want him just give us your stuff and leave us alone is the attitude. I love Jesus' answer here. He's um, hes very smart in the way that he answers. And again, I don't know that this is like um, this divine revelation uh, from from the Father of of letting Jesus know that, hey, you're being trapped. I think when two opposing parties that hate each other come to you together and then ask you a really hard question, maybe like some red flags should go up at... Uh, like, maybe this isn't all on the up and up here. And so Jesus knows immediately um, that they're trying to trick him. They're trying to trap him. And he he just says, well, bring me a coin. Bring me a coin. And then he asks the question, whose image is on the coin? Uh, if you want to bring up that next slide. So here's potentially what this coin um, would have looked like. It has uh, the face of Tiberius on it and then an inscription around it that would have read Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus Augustus. So again, it's his image and then uh, an inscription that claims his divinity, the son of the divine Augustus. What Jesus is doing here on a physical level is actually very brilliant is what he's, what he's trying to get them to see is that if Caesar created it and Caesar stamped his own image onto it, then it is reasonable to believe that Caesar has authority over it and that it should be returned to Caesar as Caesar sees fit. So I'm going to say that again. He's trying to get them to see that if Caesar created it and stamped his own image on it, then it's reasonable to believe that Caesar has authority of, over it, and it should be returned to Caesar as he sees fit. Um, before we move on to the last verse here, there's some other just kind of physical lessons that I think we need to touch on before we can move on and, and get to what I believe is the takeaway uh, from this, this passage. Part of Scripture. And so um, I want to read a few verses in Romans 13 to do that. We're going to go to Romans 13 and read verses 1 through 7, um, which is where God's going to kind of tell us his perspective on human government. Romans 13, starting in verse 1: Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of the conscience. For because of this also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, sorry, let me start that one. out. For because of this also pay taxes for the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. This passage is telling us that the government is a gift from God. No government comes into power outside of God's authority, even though, we live in a fallen world. All government is going to have corruption in it. I'm confident that if any of you went somewhere and tried to live for a while where there was no government at all, you would very quickly come to the realization that a corrupted um, government that doesn't necessarily function exactly as God would, has intended would, uh, would certainly be better than no government at all. Um, and again, as we just read, it's... The role of the state, the role of the government is to punish and restrain evil, which is a gift for you and I from God. This text, as well as uh, what we just read in Romans 13, I think does tell us that we should pay what we owe. Um, We should pay, in this context, we should pay taxes. Uh, This is not saying that you can't get a good CPA or good accountant and and lower your tax accountability. But it is saying when you've done that, pay what you owe, pay what you legally owe. Um, I, it's embarrassing to even say, but like I was once at a church where we were at a meeting um, after church one day and one of the leaders, the the treasurer of this church, um, basically let us all in on the fact that he was, creating or uh, falsifying tax documents because we had two church buildings and he was basically telling the government that we were still using both of them because if he said, well, that one's being vacant and we're not using it, we would have been opened up to tax liability. We would have had to have paid property taxes on it. And so he with a clear conscience stood in front of us and was like, Oh, so I'm like, I'm just, you know, saying that we're using it. Um, even though we're not, cause that'll save us a few bucks. Um, like, what a ridiculous way to, to think of things and uh, to recognize that if you're going to lie to your government, you're also lying to God. Um, so this is a divisive question, again, because of how offensive the government was to the Jewish people. And our government can be offensive to us. And so, again, we kind of have this idea of, well, I can use I can use their corruption, their dishonestness as an excuse for me to do what I want to do. Um, So I just want to say, like, this is not an excuse to be dishonest. We do not repay evil for evil. Saying that a government is corrupt and sinful, and so you're going to fight that by being corrupt and sinful, doesn't make a lot of sense. So, again, we enjoy the benefits of our government, even with its drawbacks. At its core, it's a gift from God to restrain and punish evil. We'll go to verse 17 now, and we're going to kind of see Jesus just unpack this, and then he's going to drop his own hand grenade uh, in the conversation as well. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. One I want to say, because I've I've heard this very incorrectly um, interpreted. This is in absolutely no way Jesus endorsing a secular sec. Uh, what am I trying to say? A secular and sacred divide. So in other words, this is not God saying God only cares about church stuff, and then like the government stuff is separate from that, and and the two don't. Intertwine. In fact, he's saying the exact opposite here. As we unpack this, we're going to see that to uh, to do what he just said, to give unto God what is God's, we have to give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, um, and um, we have to to merge those two uh, those two ideas in those two worlds. So again, on, on the on the physical level, what he's doing here in verse seventeen is. Is the same as he started in verse 16. He's trying to get them to see again if Caesar created it and stamped his image on it, then it's reasonable to believe that Caesar has authority over it and that it should be returned to Caesar as he sees fit. It says that the people marveled, and I think they marveled because this logic is sound. Like this just makes sense to us, doesn't it? Like if you make something, if you put your own image on it and then you hand it out. Like, doesn't it make sense that you would have some authority over that? Um, he, he put his image on it so that no one could forget how or where it came from. Um, and because of that, it's right to pay homage to Caesar with Caesar's coin. But here's where I love. Jesus takes this physical trap is what it was intended by the, the Pharisees. And he just drops some spiritual knowledge on them and, and And I I just love this. He, He says, render unto God the things that are God's. See, he's quoting that to people that have the entirety of the Old Testament memorized, which means that they would have Genesis 1 memorized, which I think we've got that on the next slide. Oh, man, I need a bigger screen back there. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image, Uh, in the image of God, created him, male and female, he created them. So he's without saying it, he's pointing back, to the Omago day, to Genesis 1, where he's saying, You, you were created by a creator, and that creator imprinted his image into you. And he has imprinted that image into every person ever created. The fall may have marred that image, but it's still there. Just like. Uh, you know, I pictured like a coin. You know, some of us have have seen on on the bus. Um, you know, you go to like the tram at Disney World or something, and, and you look down and you see that quarter on the ground that none of us adults like even glance at. Cause it's like, oh man, that is not worth the mess, right? It's covered in goo and gum and like just nastiness, and then your kid grabs it, of course, and like they're all proud of it. Um, but that can happen to us, so we can allow baggage in our lives to to just goo up that image and cover that image that, that we're designed by God to reflect um, and, and make it where you can't even see it anymore. Or maybe, um, you, maybe you would relate more to that coin that's like spent a couple of years out on the street just getting run over time and time and time again and getting beat down by this world until you can just barely see that like raised edge of that image in the middle of that coin that just a little bit hasn't been worn off. Just like those old coins, it might be hard to see the image of your creator imprinted on your heart, but it is there. Um, and through Jesus, We are called back into communion with God, and we're we're called to be conformed to that image, to the image of God that that we were made into. Um, Colossians 3.10, I think, is the next slide. It It says, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Go to the next one. This is Colossians And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Man, there's a lot in there. All things were created through him, and all things were created for him. He is before all things. In everything he might be preeminent, and for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. When I mean, we start to look at, at it from this standpoint. We kind of need a whole bunch of, like, God, I did that stickers, right? Uh, and we could just lay them all over everything. That's awesome. Um, all things created through him and for him so that he might be preeminent. I'm hoping that by this point, the, the term give to God what is God's is starting to take a little extra meaning in your life. Um, is where when you first read over this, you, you can maybe miss that. I hope you're starting to see what is God's. John 14, verse 8 and 9, I believe is our, our next scripture there. Um, and this is Philip speaking to Jesus. He says, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, Jesus is the image of God the Father. He so accurately represents the Father that he says, from now on you do know him and you have seen him. And so in the context of our our study today, the question has to be asked, do you so accurately reflect Jesus that others might see him and know him by seeing and knowing you? Do you so accurately reflect Jesus that others can see him by seeing and knowing you see here he's transitioned from the physical lesson that he was trying to teach them about the coin and he's flipped it right on its head and he's using the exact same point to get across to him he's trying to get them to see that if god created them and stamped his own image onto them then it is reasonable to believe that god has authority over them and that they should be returned to god as god sees fit Again, going back to the last couple of weeks, it's hard to challenge God's authority and ownership over our lives when we have this attitude. The next slide is going to be Psalm 24, verse 1. Um, I just love this song. I, I love how God provides um, for us. I, I had um, been praying, and, and you know, I'm looking for verses to, to put in here, and I, and I wanted a verse that that spoke to exactly this and Thursday we get home from house church and uh, Johnny had given my wife a a birthday card and my wife sets the birthday card down on the table and I look down and this is the verse that's staring back up to me. And it was just like, God, you're so awesome. You provided Psalm of David, the the earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. Do you understand what God owns and what he doesn't? If all bear the image of God, then he has the authority to demand that all return our lives to him. And to those of us that are here that are Christians, how much more does that apply to us? If you have claimed uh, to make him the, the king and the ruler of your life, how much more is that uh, statement true of you? Seeing so what Jesus knew here, is that not only is he the creator of all, but he's also the redeemer of all. Just a couple of days after this story takes place, Jesus is going to go to the cross, and he's going to pay the ultimate tax to forgive you of your sin by the shedding of his own holy blood. The greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. He wants you to render to God what is God's. He wants all of you. See, God is saying here, I have given you Herod, or I've given you Caesar, or in our case, I've given you Biden to be ruler over your land. I want to be ruler over your life. See, when God has our whole heart, we can sing like David when he said, your law and your precepts are my delight. He understood that God was for him and that God's commandments for God's glory and for our joy. If we get this correct in our hearts, then then we can render to God what is God's as we render to Caesar what is Caesar's. You can worship God as you write that check to pay your taxes this week because you recognize that it's God's money and it's simply doing what it was t- intended to do. And as long as you are giving all of your life to God, then you can worship through something as simple as even paying your taxes. See, so ultimately, the consequence for not paying your tax to Caesar was a death penalty. No ifs, ands, or buts. That's why the Herodians were so against the, the Pharisees' idea on, on this question over tax because the Herodians knew that if the, if the Jews stopped paying that tax, bloodshed was coming and it was not going to be pretty and the Romans would destroy what little bit of freedom that the Jewish people still had. Today you need to understand that ultimately after being made in his image and purchased by his blood, a refusal to give back to him what is rightfully his will also end in a death sentence. There may be some of you listening today that have never put your faith in Jesus. Uh, there may be some of you that have been happy enjoying his stuff while you have rejected him and his authority and his ownership over your life. That's you. If you're hearing my voice, then that is because the God of the universe is calling you to repent of that. He's calling you to put your faith in him and to give him your life, all of your life. See, it's already his. It already belongs to him. So give it back to him. He loved you so much that he came to earth for this very purpose, To live the perfect life, to be tried and tested and being found without fault. He was willing to go to the cross and be slain as your Passover lamb so that you might be found blameless like he was blameless. So that you might be redeemed from a life of slavery to sin that ultimately leads to your death. He owed a debt or excuse me, you owed a debt that you could not pay, but he paid a debt that he did not owe. And he did that so that you could be free from the condemnation of God and be freed up to pursue a relationship with him, Um, ultimately so that you could become the fullness of the image imprinted into your heart from the beginning of time. He's saying, come to me, give me your life so that you can fulfill your purpose. To those of you that are here that have put your faith in Christ, is there a part of your life or of your heart that you have refused to give back to God? He's worthy of 100% of your life. He's worthy of your love. He's worthy, worthy of your actions. He's worthy of your time. And he will not be played with. You cannot trick him. The Pharisees in this story, they're, they're kind of playing games with Jesus with, with, where we are right now. They, they just keep coming to him and they're playing games with him to try to trick him. But, but they're doing that because they don't perceive the real threat. See, Jesus right now is playing the role of the lamb. But when he returns, he will be playing the role of the Lion of Judah. Come to pronounce judgment, and destroy evil. If all of your life begin, belongs to God, what part of your life are you embezzling from him? If all of your life belongs to God, what part of it are you embezzling from him? Uh, next slide, please, time. I don't know much about the Babylon Bee. I just found them recently. I watched one of their videos online and now there's stuff like comes, comes through. Um, this came across as I was preparing for this and I thought it was just absolutely awesome. Um, it says, you're, you're perfect just the way you are, an op-ed by Satan. And um, the rest of it's too small for me to read. Hopefully you guys can read it up here. But um, basically it's this, this idea that, that Satan is trying to convince the world your sins, not that big of a deal. Um, you're not the only one that has it. Um, and so don't worry about it. You're perfect just the way you are. Um, and then I have, I, I I love there over there in the the bottom, right? It it mentions that he's the uh, world champion fiddle player runner up. Don't fall for this trap. The devil loves to use complacency because it's an easy trap for all of us to fall into. He wants you to not take your sin seriously. He wants you to keep whatever areas of your life that you've told God, you can come this far, but no farther. The devil loves that. God is saying from me are all things and through me are all things and to me are all things. And I deserve the glory. What part are you not willing to submit to his authority, his ownership and his purpose of your life? Is it your marriage? Is it the way you parent? Is it your work life? Is it the way that you spend your time? Is it your health? Is it some idol? that you won't let go of? Is it your finances, as in this passage? Is it your worry? You fill in the blank. Philippians 1.6, I think I put that on slide too. Philippians 1.6 says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. He's not done with you yet just because he saved you. He wants to bring you back. He wants to polish that coin until the image that was imprinted unto it is easy for all to see. Last slide, I believe. Romans 11.36. Jacob read this earlier. I love how God does that. Like I didn't tell him to, and yet he came to this same verse. Romans 11.36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. See, he made you in his image so that no one could ever forget how or where you came from. And because of that, it is right to pay homage to him with your life. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. I'm going to pray for you and uh, we're going to respond and worship. Lord, I uh, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to study it and to um, hopefully come to a better knowledge and understanding of you, of who you are, of your love for us, uh, of your your ownership over us, of your purpose for our life. God, I pray um, for all of us here today that we would be willing to look at ourselves in the mirror, and if we find a area of our lives that we are embezzling from you, Lord, will you convict us of it and help us to repent? God, will you Flood your people with your spirit in such a way that as we cling to you, as we draw near to you, we know your word says that you will draw near to us. And as we, um, as we do that, Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you for your willingness and your ability to sanctify us and to polish that coin in our hearts to make it reflect the image that you put into it. Um, Lord, I just ask that you would help us to keep that in our minds as we go um, away from here, that we would recognize that you own and have authority and purpose over each and every one of us and over every aspect of our lives. I ask that you would help us to submit to that authority, to that ownership, and finally to that purpose and that you will be glorified through your servants. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. For the benediction, may you give God your whole life so that you might reflect his image to all that you would come in contact to. Love you guys. Have a great week.